0: Hey everybody, this is Phil Town.
1: And this is Danielle Town. And
0: we're here for the Invested Podcast, where we're talking about how the best investors in the world figure out how to make very high rates of return with very low risk and do it for 50 years in a row. And, ooh, ooh, yeah. That's
1: a lot of years. I know.
0: It's a pretty spectacular thing that that people like Warren Buffett, Ben Graham, Charlie Munger, oh my gosh, there's, there's a really long list, David Einhorn, Bill Ackman. Um so many people have made literally billions of dollars working through a very simple I'm not I'm intentionally not saying easy. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but very simple <laughs> set of rules that we we talk about on this podcast as my daughter Danielle is learning to invest and I want well, to the learn the simplicity how of I it
1: is not easy because in simplicity there is so much to learn and grow from and we're so lucky today dad because we have an incredible guest on our show. I feel incredibly honored to have Dawa Tarchin Phillips here who's with us to talk about mindfulness and business and entrepreneurship and maybe even a little bit of investing. And
0: so, Dawa, it's great to see you. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Dawa. Hi
2: Danielle, hi Phil, good to be here. Good to
1: see you. you. So I'm just going to read your bio off because I want everybody to know about everything you're doing. So Dawa Tarchin Phillips is the founder and CEO of Empowerment Holdings. He's the co-founder of the Mindful Leadership Online Training Conference, which is the world's largest online training conference for mindful leaders. He's a mindfulness and meditation expert, author, entrepreneur, spiritual teacher, researcher, and educator. He's also the acting president of the International Mindfulness Teachers Association, the world's first global professional organization for mindfulness teaching professionals, and the founder of the Mindful Leadership Tribe, an online community of mindful leaders. He completed two three-year meditation retreats and teaches mindfulness in meditation, awakened business, and mindful leadership around the world. He's also a member of the prestigious Transformational Leadership Council Dad, you're a member of that, too.
0: Amazing. What a coincidence that we're here (laughs) at the same place.
1: (laughs) And the Association of Transformational Leaders. And he's just a leading voice in the global mindfulness movement, which is why we're so thrilled to have him on the podcast today. His work has been featured in the New York Times, The Huffington Post, Men's Fitness, Forbes, and Fast Company. And he lives with his family in Santa Barbara.
0: And he's a really good friend of ours, and I love him. Uh, I love you, too. Good to be here. We are honored uh, that you're here, and I'm, I'm really thrilled that we can talk about this concept of mindfulness in the context of investing. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's not something that Buffett and Munger, um, so we, we consider these guys like the grandfathers of this sort of investing strategy. Um, yes. They don't really talk about it, but they act it. They do it. And so it's really interesting, I think, that we're going to dive into this on this podcast. It's one of the things that Danielle brought into my practice of investing is just the idea of it being a practice. It never really – I never really thought about it like that. So mindfulness. It
1: was so obvious that it had to be something that you work at a little bit and just practice and you're never going to truly master, but hopefully grow in that skill and in that practice going forward. So what I want to know, Dawa, just from talking to you outside of the podcast is how you went from being, you know, in a retreat environment, essentially a Buddhist monk, and you came out and went into the business world. How did that happen?
2: Uh, That's a great question. The reason for that, I think, is a red thread that has always been part of my life, which is uh, service. Um, I am here to uh, contribute something to the world. And at some point in my life, it became clear that in order to do that well, I needed to train my mind properly. I really needed to understand who I am, where I come from, and where I'm going. Uh, Because when you're in a position of leadership and you have such influence, as you know, we do as, as people who are uh, in leadership positions, we need to know ourselves and we need to know where we're taking people and why we're taking them there. And so I needed time to clarify that for myself. Uh, and once I, once I did clarify that, I looked at what really are the most meaningful and highly leveraged tools for, for myself in order to benefit the world. And I identified that we live in a time where Business is really the most influential and powerful force in the world that needs to be harnessed for good If we were to really use this time uh, to I guess Steer humanity in a meaningful direction. Um, I Love entrepreneurship. I come from a family of entrepreneurship. My grandfather was the most you can say inspiration inspiring entrepreneur in my life when I was little he always Mm. encouraged me to take risks and he did well for himself, but he also—he was the one that would tap me on my shoulder and say, "Well done, boy," when my mother had uh, worries in her eyes because I'd taken some risk that uh, scared her, you know. And he would say, "That's my boy, right?" So we need a champion like that in our life, and in my life, this was my grandfather who was an entrepreneur. So that—that that has run in the family, um, but it's now really the—I guess. The the understanding that in in modern Western society, which is where I live in the United States and also where a lot of our clients live, and even uh, the the society that is uh, developed around the world as the modern global society, I think business or entrepreneurship and family provide particular vehicles for people to grow up and Mm -hmm. to take responsibility and to learn about life and to learn about themselves. And in my In my understanding, that is the essence of spirituality, is to really live an an authentic, responsible, contributing life. And so doing that in business and in family is very suitable. People really are able to um, develop authentically, which sometimes, you know, if people remove themselves from society for too long, it can even become distorted and it can lose some of the authenticity.
1: Yeah, you can. I mean, I also spent some time in a monastery in high school actually and felt a lot of those same feelings of like what is the authenticness that i'm trying to get at for myself without losing it being here if that makes sense and for me the choice was the right choice was to leave and uh and and go out and do something outside be a householder essentially
0: I went through I went through something similar. I I spent um six months in a effectively in a monastery um meditating twelve hours a day and 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 in between the first six hours and the second six hours was time with the guru and um and at the end of it I remember being so clear that I did not want to leave. I was I had lived my whole life out in the world going, you know, doing very active things and I found that being in this state of uh, of silence was just so attractive and so sticky, and I didn't want to leave for anything. They had to throw me out. I mean, they threw me out. I, they said, "You have to go home now." <laughs> and, and the idea was that I really liked was that you're when you're in this silence, you're you're like a white sheet that gets dipped into gold cloth, and then you come out and you think you're gold. As long as you're in the pot, you think you're gold because you're full of this golden stuff that's in the pot. And then they pull you out and stick you on the line and it all fades away <laughs> and you become almost completely a white sheet again and then back into the pot for more gold. And this process was uh, was starting to work on me and I, I really appreciated when I came out of there how different I felt inside and how, the, how long it took before I started to kind of fall back on my old self, if you will, right? That there was this changes in me, some little bit of which stuck. And then, you know, ultimately, I kind of came back into the whole world. What did you find after, what, six years of this? Something like what you did?
2: I lived in the monastery for 12 years. 12 years. I spent uh, close to seven years in meditation retreat of those 12 years. Um, Two, three and a half year retreats back to back. Um, but I think one of the takeaways for me from this is that oftentimes I think people experience what, what you are describing, right? They, uh, they, they are in the world, they, are, uh, they live these busy, busy lives, uh, fully engaged in the world, and there is this longing um, of wanting to come home and wanting to experience some, some peace and some connection on a deeper level. And what we are encouraging now is really to to look at, is it not possible that 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 is cultivated alongside with the way that we develop our careers and and our impact in the world so that we don't get to this place where we feel we've we've drifted so far away um, and we have this longing of just leaving it all and just staying in the monastery. But how can we balance this out, right? So that we have this inner connection, we have the ability to go to the well, so to speak, to, to stay connected to our inner silence, to draw strength from there, to stay connected to our values, to feel a stronger sense of purpose coming out of that. But then take that into the work life, take that into our business, take that into our families, take that into our contribution.
0: Nice, and what is, what's the process? I mean, how do you see that unfolding and how does that relate to mindfulness? Like when we're talking about mindfulness and investing, the idea of being, what, a practice and deeply connected to it sort of in that moment. How, how does that work for somebody who's not going to be in a monastery? They're going to be doing their job. They're hopefully in their dharma, in life, and, but they're practicing. How do you see that working?
2: Well, let's let's frame this a little so we understand why this is so important, right? Um, when we're dealing with investing, we're we're dealing with fear and we're dealing with desire, or in some cases a distortion, distorted version of that called greed. Um, but but both of those things are future projections.
0: Right? We actually we actually think that idea of greed and fear are they're they're not a sometimes thing. They're very deeply involved in the market all the time.
2: Yeah. And, and they are both arising out of an anticipation of a future event. If I anticipate the future event to be detrimental, I'm in a state of fear. If I anticipate that future event to be bringing gain to me, I'm in, I might be in a state of greed. Yeah? And, and interestingly enough, though, the experience of life occurs in the present. Yeah? No one actually spends any time in the future our days unfold present moment after present moment after present moment. So the experience of strong fear or the experience of strong greed, in fact, is a trick that our mind plays on us when we start projecting eventualities onto our experience. And that can become a distortion, which means because of the presence of fear, because of the presence of greed, we stop to see clearly what is actually happening. And we stop seeing clearly the data um, and the, the facts that can inform our decision-making beyond all of the emotional upheaval that we're experiencing when we're either in fear or in greed. Hmm. So because of that, mindfulness is so important. It brings us to be, pre- to be present. It, it takes us out of these distorted perspectives that are the result of either strong fear or strong greed so that we can clearly assess where we are, what is happening, what is needed, what is wise, and then execute that.
1: And how do you teach entrepreneurs who you work with or business leaders to practice that kind of mindfulness in their day-to-day business life?
2: Yeah, so uh, the first thing, entrepreneurs are smart people and, and they're hungry by nature. So what, what when they understand that something makes sense they are looking for ways to implement it. Uh, what, what we have at our disposal basically to alter the course of our life, are five things, it's, it's how we think, it's our attitudes, is what we imagine, is what we say, and what we do. Five things.
1: How you nope. think, your attitudes, what,
2: what you, you imagine, imagine, what you say,
1: what you say, and what you do, and what you do. Great nope. list.
2: Those five things, and we have an acronym for that, uh, T-A-I-W-A, an acronym, because it's thought, attitude, imagination, words, and action. All of those five things happen in the present moment. So if you're not present, you have no control over the five things that actually allow you to direct your life to what way you want to go. And so that is a simple thing even a fifth grader gets. And once that is clear, we understand that cultivating our ability to be present is the key to directing our life in a meaningful direction. Now, once that has been established, then we just talk about the how. How can that be done? And the easiest is to work with anchors, which are little things that remind us to return to the present, whether that's Mm. our breath, whether that's our uh, physical sense of present, our body, whether that is little reminders, we said it on our phone, there's now I think over 600 mindfulness apps because of the many uh, health benefit and high performance benefits that have been scientifically validated. Um, and there's more coming. We're actually working on one ourselves that we'll be uh, hopefully releasing later this year. And, and so these then are practical steps once we get the value, and as value investors, you know, you, you, you know what, what that means. Once you get the value, then it's just about using the tools. And like I said, that builds on choosing anchors, things that remind us that what we're looking for and our tools to get it all lie in the present moment.
0: So, Danielle, can you, can you kind of, well, like in, in our book, Invested, you start out, loaded with fear about investing. How, how do you relate that to what Da was saying right now?
1: How do I relate fear to what Dawa was saying right now? I yeah. mean, I think he's exactly right. It's entirely divorced from the present moment. It's about looking forward. It's about seeing something that's negative that's going to happen to you in the future and guessing that there's a very strong probability of that happening. And then the feelings that that creates in the present moment. So- I have actually used some of those systems that you talk about, anchors, without even really realizing it, to stay present and stay mindful, for lack of a better term. Uh, And in doing so, I've experienced that it removes some of that fear. It, It takes me back to the present and it releases me from that worry about what's going to happen in the future. But let me ask you, well go ahead, John.
0: Well, I was just thinking you know a lot of that fear seems justified, I guess by <laughs> by the potential for somebody who is only just beginning to um, to to realize that they have to do something different in terms of investing, let's say in our field um, in order to have this this life that they would like to have this this level of financial security um even at just the minimum level of financial security that they would really like to have and that if they keep doing what they've been doing they're not going to get there and so the fear starts to grow right
1: let me make a distinction here and you know we want dawa to talk and not us argue about this because we have plenty of time where we can argue about this but i think i think you're
2: stimulating future discussion (laughs) yeah okay good (laughs) But
1: I think the distinction lies in, yes, you're right, there is the fear that is real. Like, you know, you're out in the forest and there is a bear there and that fear is very real and important to feel. And I think that that matters a lot in investing, but one can at the same time be present in the moment and not be taken over by the fear. That's the difference. It's still feeling it, still being aware of it. And I really firmly believe that that's a real safety valve for investors. But not having it rule you, not having it be something that takes you over.
0: So, Dawa, I want to I so want to put this in. Let's hear what Dawa thinks. I do. I, I want to hear this, and I just want to frame it slightly. And that is that um, that if I'm investing, and there's a lot of fear in the market in general, this is a time when Buffett is telling us, "Great, this is the time that you want to be an investor. This is the perfect time. Is when there's fear, not when there's greed." So the difficulty that we all have as value type investors is to be able to control our own fear in an environment of, of, of widespread fear and concern about the future. Right. That's right. So.
2: And that is, the, that is exactly the definition of a mindful leader. It is someone that is controlling their inner reality in an environment of a... Uh, unsettling outer reality. Yeah. Uh, and, and thereby, thereby is able to maintain composure and lead when everyone else has, is, uh, losing, uh, orientation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So the, the thing with, the thing with fear is that this, this belief we have that fear is essential is based on our survival instincts. Yes. Fear is essential to survival. It is not essential to thriving.
0: (laughs) Okay. Very, very good point.
2: Because we want to thrive. We do want to thrive. We do. We want to outgrow the survival and get to the living and then get to the thriving. And for that, we we need to engage in in a process where we're able to understand is the, the, the fear is there because we're dealing with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. We, we, are, we, are, we have to make decisions in an, in an environment where we have limited information. And that, that state is someone, that is what a leader faces every day. How do I make good decisions with incomplete information? And the best possible premise for that is if I have full access to my resources, my experience, my education, uh, the information I gathered, my intuition, uh, maybe my network, right? And, and so the more present I am, the more I can access these resources to actually make good decisions. So what we teach leaders is rather than uh, continue down the path of cultivating this, this uh, fearful state, we say, what if you replaced it with discernment? What if the, the the value you're really looking for that, that you're getting out of fear right now is discernment?
1: Can you talk a little bit more about that discernment?
2: Well there is a clarity that comes when we are in a state of heightened alert. We, we begin to you know we think we think initially in a, there's something called arousal, which is on the stress curve it's the the early the early part of, of stress of what is called, you could say arousal stress actually shows that when we are aroused, we are hyper focused. Yeah, for example, when is we're going like on a date, sensors. or exactly, mm-hmm. and and that actually is still something where we are more alive. We we are more uh, more vigilant. We're more viral. We're more present. But then it reaches a tipping point. And in fact, performance and alertness and presence begins to break down. And the the level of fear in our system now is no longer benefiting us at all. It's in fact limiting us. It's contracting our body. It's uh, shutting down our autonomous nervous system or causing it to go into overdrive. It's limiting our focus. And we begin to make mistakes. And so we want to tap into that alive state, that arousal state, but we, we want to learn how, that it's really not necessary and not helpful for us when we tip over that state, unless we're in mere survival. But who wants to cultivate that as a lifestyle?
0: <laughs> no, we want to be a long way from that. I mean, clearly. And the kind of process <clears throat> that we're looking at as investors is hyper-intellectual. Right. I mean, most good investors spend most of their time reading and simply trying to reduce the uncertainty to understand what's going on, reduce the uncertainty so that when some event happens, which creates widespread fear around a particular business or an industry or even the entire economy, um, you have the ability to, to discern reality. To, yes. to stay out of that fear emotion. So the idea of mindfulness, like you, you go into a, a blog post where you talk about um, mindfulness practices that increase emotional intelligence. So a couple of things that are, are there. First, what are some tips for mindfulness that, that you could talk to us about that would help us stay back from that from grabbing that crowd fear that goes on out there, and to stay discerning.
2: well, the the first thing is you you want to understand what triggers you personally, right? We all have uh, emotional triggers. Um, anyone that's ever been in a relationship knows that that we get triggered. as humans, we get triggered. And so you, you want to understand what triggers you, and identify some of those personal trigger situations so that you can be prepared for when they arise in order to make better decisions. Then it is essential to cultivate self-awareness. Emotional intelligence is uh, defined as self-awareness and self-management, social awareness and relationship management. And um, there's plenty of evidence that emotionally intelligent leaders bring about better performance, greater performance, both for themselves, as well as their teams, as well as their organizations. But the key to getting that level of self-awareness or social awareness, again, is presence. Um, The Who we are is already here. Who others are is already here. What is happening between them and us is already here. The question is, are we, are we here? So, cultivating that presence is the key to accessing greater emotional intelligence. Then, if you can, see whether you can identify the emotions that you're actually experiencing. There's a a wonderful work that's being done at Duke University, at um, Yale University on emotional intelligence. They are research centers dedicated to helping people understand how they're impacted by emotions and how these emotions show up and can be recognized early and can be effectively addressed.
0: You know, there's a, there's a really good Christian minister uh, here in Atlanta named Andy Stanley. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he's terrific. And he said, one of the key things you have to do is pay attention to the tension. Yes. Which I thought it was really good. It's taking you into that identity of what what is it that's feeding that feeling that you've got? Is that kind of what you mean a little bit by identifying that?
2: I do. Yes. So uh, getting a framework for what emotions exists, for example, fear is not considered a primary emotion, even though it is so primal. But uh, uh, desire or attachment, it's a primary emotion, jealousy, primary emotion arrogance or pride primary emotion
0: <laughs> these are all these are all fund manager emotions i'm telling you right now these are absolutely every fund manager i know uh, which by extension means pretty every good investor out there is they desire to to win right to be successful with the the goal that you have it's very hard to watch the market and other investors do well <laughs> we and it's jealousy or whatever, but it's just really hard to, to sit tight and do nothing when everyone else is doing great, right? And so, oh man, these are these are right in the wheelhouse of people who are investing full time.
1: But then, interestingly, you look to the masters, Buffett and Munger, and they don't seem to have a lot of trouble with that.
0: They don't have trouble with that, which is astonishing. I mean, the reason the reason. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that I was, Please fire away. What are your thoughts?
2: I, I think one of the reasons why why uh, Buffett and Munger don't have those troubles is because they're they're practicing investing as a discipline of self mastery. Yeah, absolutely. The, the absolutely. Fact that that and, and so the, the returns they they're great, uh, but but they I don't think they are the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to master the craft.
1: Absolutely. And they talk about that. They, you know, yeah. they wanted to make money because that's the job. But once they made a certain amount of money, they didn't need any more money. They don't need to keep doing this. They're doing it for themselves.
0: I totally agree. Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett are two of the, the most uh, broad readers across a spectrum of philosophy, psychology, um, religion that I've ever come across. I mean, Charlie is incredibly well-read. And, uh, and I think you're right. They've never talked about it like that, but I think you're right, Dawa. I think that they have a discipline of self-mastery. It's, that's extraordinary, really, insight. I've never actually heard anybody say that about Buffett and Munger, but it's dead on the money.
2: And, and I think the beautiful thing about what you're doing with your programs, with your books, with your teaching, is you, you give that invitation. You, you, you put out an invitation that you say, if you want, you can practice investing as a form of, as a discipline toward mastery. And that is a shift, right? That's that's a shift from saying, how can I get my hands on the most in the shortest amount of time with the, the highest return of investment, right? The, the fast, quick. Money and the the instant reward type of mentality, which is that uh, imbalanced, volatile market that is constantly thrown around by by fear and greed back and forth all the time. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So we talked about, go ahead, Daniel. I want to so ask you so many about, questions. I like so many questions here.
1: I know. I hope right. you'll come back on the podcast because it's so fun to chat with you about this. Um, but I want to ask you about also a little bit looking to the future because you yeah. wrote an, a blog post recently that's called Slow Down to Get Ahead. And you say, How to Use Mindfulness to Get Clear on Your Purpose. And mm. the, you give five points, which I just thought were beautiful. So maybe I should just read them off. Sure. Uh, The first one is what's the ideal outcome for today and the future? So in this first one, you do look to the future, which I found really interesting. And of course, we all are looking to the future. On some level, we have to in certain ways. And, And so I think acknowledging that is very important. The second one is what does success mean to you? What does it look like? The third one is identify the lack of congruence between those things. The fourth is identify the strengths you need for success. And number five is expand those strengths in the present. I mean, it's just such a beautiful sequence of, yes, that's exactly what you should do. And I actually realized in thinking about it that in a lot of ways, that's the process I went through with my investing practice from knowing absolutely nothing, trying to decide what I wanted for my future, what skills was I missing, went out and got the skills from my dad. And by the end of it, by the end of the book, <laughs> had the skills enough to where I could do it on my own. Um, so maybe if you could just talk about that and how you, um, you do use the future in a mindfulness practice.
2: Yes, and I think the, the premise underneath is this: uh, the fundamental shift between a scarcity mindset and a possibility mindset, right?
0: Hmm.
2: Um, do we live in a world in which we think we are cut off from opportunity or do we live in a world in which we acknowledge that if others can do something, there is no logical reason why I should not be able to do it. There might be perception, there might be fears, there might be limiting beliefs, but in terms of being endowed with uh, the five things I mentioned, thoughts, attitude, imagination, words, and action, which is all anybody has, um, you know, that and, and maybe uh, good pedigree. Uh, but other than that, there you are, you know, with your, your five tools, 24 hours in the day, what are you going to do with it? And and that uh, that shift in thinking, I think, is is fundamental, which is why we talk in this article about a strength-based approach, because there, there's nothing required to succeed in your life that you're not already doing somewhere in a different way. For mm-hmm. example, we talk about mindfulness, and people say, well, I'm not a meditator. I'm not the meditating kind. Well, I say, what do you like doing? And they might say, well, I, I, I love working on my car. I like fishing. I like uh, spending time with my kid um I like uh, tasting a wonderful bottle of wine and suddenly there it is you see natural mindfulness suddenly shows up when you're enjoying something and you realize I'm already mindful but when I'm with that bottle of wine or I'm with my kid or I am uh, you know enjoying this activity I'm doing I'm fully present I don't I wouldn't want to be any other place So then the question is what? How do we expand that strength to expand into other areas of our lives, where currently we are acting purely from uh, fear or or uh, worry or greed, right? So how do we how do we take that that enjoyment? that enthusiasm, that calm, that present and expand it into other areas of our lives. And and many people don't think that their relationship with money and investing can be joyful, can be enthusiastic, can be calm, Uh, but that's just conditioning.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's something I confronted, I call it like present Danielle and future Danielle where present Danielle wants to like spend all my money in my bank account and go out and have a fantastic trip to Italy and future Danielle needs to not do that and needs to keep the money in the bank account or pay off the student loans or pay the mortgage or, you know, keep it in savings so that I can invest something. Um, And I feel like it's kind of a fundamental conflict when it comes to like present mindfulness, staying in the moment slash looking forward, to be prepared for other things in the future.
2: I'll give you another hint. So in, in, in our work, we actually don't say we're creating uh, the future. We're, we're saying we're elevating the present. Yeah? Hmm. Because if you start acting in accordance with the life you wish to have today, which means you, you are, you're keeping in mind the, the future Danielle, who is financially free, who is able to have a, um, a a healthy relationship with money and finance, who is able to share her wisdom maybe with her family and other women or men around the world and inspire them. right? And if you, you keep that in mind, you are not just creating a better future. You are already elevating each present moment. Hmm. And that then turns into the future you're looking for quite naturally.
1: That's so true. I'm just realizing as you're saying it, of course, that's so true by finding what I could, what I could enjoy in the investing practice today, what I can enjoy in the present moment, which for me was finding wonderful companies, doing good things in the world that I wanted to support, um, putting my money where my values are. It changed the whole process for me. And that was present.
0: It wasn't future. Yeah, that's that's very powerful. We talk a lot about value investing, meaning we're effectively trying to buy something at a lower price than its value. As a result, effectively, and maybe put in the harshest sort of way, as a result of other people's fear, most entirely the professionals, the professional classes fear that the near-term problems with this company or the economy are going to preclude them doing well. And as a result, everyone that they know is going to exit from that stock and it's going to go down. So they exit from the stock and it goes down. It's very self-fulfilling, this fear process. And Danielle identified, I thought brilliantly, that um, where, where many people think that the market is being driven by fund managers are acting on a short basis irrationally as a result of all the emotion Danielle pointed out that really from their point of view they're acting quite rationally in the face of this knowledge that this is going to go down because they're going to get out and and drive it down and as a result they need to do that before all of their friends do it or they're not going to perform as well and that fear that short-term rate of return fear drives the industry and as a result she realized that that there's something going on in the industry that nobody talks about and that is that the goals of investors which are to have this long-term financial success and and a growing portfolio versus the goals of the people who are managing 85% of the money in the stock market are vastly different goals Mm -hmm. and as a result investor fear and fund manager fear are two really different things. Mm-hmm. And she, she pointed that out. And I thought it was really, really, really brilliant. And that, so, but what I want to kind of come back to is that we have to, if, if I'm following you correctly, we have to find that joyfulness, that enthusiasm, that calm that we experience in other parts of our lives anyway. And then consciously, do we consciously bring that in? I mean, what, what's the process of actually figuring out how to elevate the present? What do we have to do?
2: Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that Buffett and Munger are joyful, enthusiastic, and calm when it comes to investing?
0: Absolutely. Those are three great descriptive words. They're very funny. You can feel the joy coming out. Uh, They're obviously very enthusiastic about what they do. I mean, Munger's 94 years old and he won't stop. (laughs) So that's a pretty good sign of enthusiasm. And you never see these guys panicking. They just stay calm. Yeah, those, that's perfect description of them.
2: And and that is not how most of us think about our relationship with money and investing. Uh, you know, totally. We, we, have, we view that as uh, more like a dragon uh, than uh, something actually to be celebrated, something to be to be practiced, to be mastered. Um you know, I don't want to just use the word "game" because there is an important element of uh, sustaining livelihood and, and supporting families and supporting meaningful causes. But there is something about learning the art and science and, and the practice of investing and actually having some fun with it as well, which, which I think sometimes flies too far under the radar. You, you ask about uh, elevating the present, right? Hmm. Um, or the present. I think what you said about these two fears of the fund managers and of the investors, I think it's very interesting because the, the the present is never going to be a stagnant experience. And I think that's also something that people who have not cultivated a lot of mindfulness in their life, they're looking for the stability to come from the outside. And since, since the outside is always changing and is unpredictable and is going, it's, it's like an ocean in movement. Uh, one one can feel that it's never quite safe enough to settle in, mm. that one has to be on this constant watch and this constant alert overdrive uh, be, because there is the uncertainty and there is the unpredictability. But, but when one... Releases that, and one says, "You know, I am not going to how to say. Uh, since I understand that the, the market is always changing, since I understand that it is driven by by the ups and downs and the hopes and fears of of humanity, can I take a different attitude toward the whole thing? Right? We were we were just we met together recently uh, at a meeting, the three of us, and." Um, DeWitt Jones spoke so eloquently about the lens, right? Uh, the photographer for the National Geographic, how you can, ch- when you change the lens, you begin to see a different picture. Huh?
0: Oh, and man. I, yeah. That, right? this, is, this is bringing something home really powerfully. <clears throat> that I, Maybe one of the things that Buffett and Munger do is they change the lens to see the world in a different way Um, Buffett sometimes puts it like this. He said, it's as if you're in a game where everyone in the bleachers is standing there watching you swing the bat at a ball, a baseball game. And they're all really excited about the possibilities to come from you swinging that bat. And they're yelling at you, swing, swing, swing. Right. And Buffett said, imagine if the game was that you didn't have to swing. At all. You could simply wait. And if you change the game in that way, you would then say, "Okay, where exactly should the ball be? How fast should it be going before I'm going to swing? And when you know that about yourself, then you can wait for that perfect pitch and stand there all day to do that. That is so different of a paradigm from what virtually everyone in the market is doing. That I'm thinking you've really put your finger on it. That the lens is different; they're put on a different lens on their camera. Nobody else has that lens. Yes,
2: and 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 the the trust that the opportunity will come because the opportunity is generated by the movement in the market.
0: The trust that it'll come and the self knowledge about where it where it will come when it comes
2: and and where it needs to be for you. To hit it out of the park.
0: That's it. That self knowledge is so important. And that self knowledge could be one of the anchor stones to being joyful, enthusiastic, calm. You know yourself and you know what you're looking for, and you're perfectly patient to wait. What do you think?
2: I, I know myself that you know. I, I read your book, uh, Rule Number One, and it was one of one of the investment books I've really enjoyed the most. And, Thank you. Um, I, I found it so valuable because when you do invest according to value investing, you're enthusiastic to be part of that company. You you feel like this. I want to be involved in this business. Mm-hmm. I like what's happening here, you know? And and I think that's why this, this work is so important to identify really where you are, you have that alignment. Because when you do that work, you feel like you're with the right kind of people, pursuing the right kind of vision. And and that's really what, what it's about, right? Why why do we enjoy doing the things we do? Is we, we get to be with the people we like, working on exciting things. Uh, seeing those things come to fruition in the world and to be able to do that as an investor I get goosebumps I don't know about you but
0: that is what gives us goosebumps that's what really makes it take off and just spending time with you is one of those things that I find to be extraordinary is there an opportunity for our listeners to to participate in in the things that you're teaching how how would they go about doing that how can they find you
2: uh, sure. Yes. So they can find me online. They can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, uh, Dawah and Phillips. There are public profiles there that that uh, where I express my uh, ideas and publish articles and develop leadership. Um, then at my website, dawahtarchinphillips.com, they can reach me. And also my company's website is empowermentholdings.com. And then in regards to some of the larger activities, like the the online conference we do once a year, uh, that conference is called the Mindful Leadership Online Training Conference. Mm. And then the International Mindfulness Teachers Association is the IMTA.org. They can go there. And that is a a global association that is really meant to help distribute this kind of understanding and skill set that we're talking about that will really make it possible to get out of survival mode in the 21st century and move into thriving mode in a world that is accelerated, yeah, a rate of change that has accelerated. You need to retool. You need, you need to develop a new skill set. And, and uh, that skill set exists. That understanding is out there. It's scientifically validated. And it will make us happier and it will make us more efficient and higher performing as well
0: incredible thank you so much we you you please come back and do this again with us I, sure. I can tell you right now Danielle we're gonna have all kinds of people saying more more.
1: I'm one of them because I want to know about how to look at the people running public companies and see if they're the kind of people who I feel the goosebumps about, who I can trust with my money, who are going to take it and do great things, who are authentic, who know that intention and relationships matter. Those are the people I want to be taking care of my money. And I want to talk to
0: you about that. And I want to come, I know just from our friendship, you are deeply thoughtful and and deeply read about building one's values and and how you view the world and what you hold as important and and having the integrity of those values can we can we do this one or two more times dawa
2: i'm happy to come on yes you're
0: so so powerful and we are so thank thank you so much for for taking the time to be with us danielle any last things
1: Thank you.
0: Thank really you. Appreciate I think you. It's time to go. And great pleasure. See you soon.
1: See you soon. Thanks
0: everybody. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to InvestedPodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.